welcome to the Calibre podcast as presented by Watches of Switzerland. I'm Faisa Terry and this episode of Calibre podcast features Head of Watch Buying for the Watches of Switzerland group, Mark Tolton, sitting down with a pioneer in the watch industry, Jack Hoyer, and honorary chairman of Tag Hoyer. I'd like to welcome you to the latest in our series of Calibre podcasts where we cover uh, news from the watch industry and feature some remarkable people, industry legends who have shaped the business through innovative products and clever clever marketing. Uh, my name is Mark Tolson. I'm head of buying at Watches of Switzerland. Um, and none of those things particularly apply to me, but they do to my guest today, which is Mr. Jack Hoyer. Um, he's the great-grandson of Edward Hoyer, who founded uh, the company in 1860. Um, from a, a current retail perspective, Tag, is a, Tag Hoyer is a terrific brand for us. It's hugely popular with our clients um, and particularly for chronographs. Um, 40% of our sales come from chronographs within the brand. And Jack's career uh, with the company is intimately linked with the development of that type of watch and how they're marketed. Uh, and I'm sure we'll come across that um, as, as, as the discussion um, continues. So welcome, Jack. Um, thank, you for, thank you for spending some time with us today. Um, could you please give us a, a bit of a brief overview of your, your time with, with Hoyer? Um, I think you started as a 26-year-old in 1958 in the family business. Uh, and from then, um, you've got a great career. Well, in 1958, I had graduated in Zurich uh, as an electronics engineer. Right. And... I had already been half a year doing studies in Switzerland you, because of the army. You have to interrupt the studies a, ah. a few times. Mm -hmm. But I had traveled America because it's one of my. It was one of the first wishes of my father right. that I get to know America well. Uh -huh. And so when I had graduated, uh, I started looking at the company. I studied uh, electro. Uh, electronic engineering and management right mm -hmm. so I started looking at the company and saw that we needed a lot of innovation right and chronographs were till after the war not so popular because you couldn't make them water resistant mm -hmm. but during World War two uh, Switzerland had developed the technology to make watertight push pieces. Okay. And our company basically was specialized on chronographs and on stopwatches. Short right. time measurement was one uh -huh. of our strengths and actually we were the, the, one of the leading companies in that particular business sector. Okay. So I started to analyze the whole company and actually participated as a guest on the Monte Carlo rally. Right, amazing. learned when I went to, to the arrival, I had a, a press card, right? When I went to the arrival of the Monte Carlo, uh -huh. um, it was my first year in the business, uh, in the Monte Carlo arrival of the r rally. Yes. I looked into every watch, uh, every car. Yes. And I would say 85% of them had uh, our dashboard watches. Great. So mm -hmm. I discovered 
you know, if it's good for the rally of Monte Carlo, uh -huh. all the other rallies are very good. <laughs> so we pushed our weight, uh -huh. uh, marketing weight, on yes. the automotive sports, automotive yes. sports, and we still do today. Yes, right. Absolutely. So it's a long history. Mm -hmm. It's now, yes, you have it here, mm. right? Uh, well over 50 years, yes, right? Indeed, yeah. And that was the first marketing uh -huh. thing I did. It was the first week of my work in January when I started on the 1st of January. So I, I, I set a direction there, uh -huh. one mark, right? And it's funny that it survived so long, well, if you think about it. Yeah, right? well, it's incredible. I mean, But no it's really, uh, the motorsports is really, I was also a motorsports fan, as yes. you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. Um, the the way motorsport accepts uh, timekeeping yes. and and, yes. and all the watch brands get involved with uh, with that today from you know Rolex etc. But you were at the beginning. You you you, yes, you kind of started actually, it. Uh, if you ask me, Rolex is paying, uh -huh. but they're not timing. Yes, the timing uh -huh. has taken been taken over by Formula One uh -huh. by the organization. Yes, but we developed it. Yes. And my engineers developed the timing system where you have every car emitted, has a little emitter. Okay. And uh, then it, when it goes over the crossing line, yeah. it registers the time, yeah. the cumulative time, that, or let's say the total time, and uh, also the, the sequence of who's in first, second, yeah. third. Incredible. Right? That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So, and so that was bought... Um, we sold the system to, uh, that's in the troublesome years of the Swiss watch industry. Uh -huh. We sold it to Longines and then they bought it back right. after a few years yeah. when Tag came in uh -huh. and they financed it and uh, that's the merit of Tag Heuer, yeah. but the development was under my guidance. That's incredible. In my time, yeah. That's incredible. Anyhow, yeah. that's one part. Then, I, of course, I went very much into creating new models yes and that was partly because chronographs were not very popular because you couldn't they stopped uh, after 24 hours and you couldn't um, go in the water with yes them. and so finally they had these waterproof push pieces mm -hmm. and so we started and pushed the wrist chronographs mm -hmm. and we also pushed the stopwatches, handheld stopwatches, yep. because it's a tradition in mm -hmm. the family. My grandfather, uh, who was in London, saw the Greyhound races. Ah, okay. And the Greyhound yeah. races, if you yeah. measure them to the tenth of a second, yeah. when you're looking before you bet, right? Yes, you yes. can see them. Yes. <laughs> uh, discovered that the, the, a tenth of a second wasn't this accurate enough ah. so he developed a stopwatch yeah. to the hundredth of a second yeah uh -huh. and uh, amazing enough that hundredth of a second helped us time the olympic in 1920 924 wow. 928 because Incredible. we were the first company yeah, yeah. and uh, patented yeah. how to make a hundredth of a second stopwatch it's yeah. amazing so uh, we have quite a how shall we, an heritage yes if i the may heritage. say so, yeah yeah right? indeed yeah. I then started with the product development and together with, um, first we started alone mm -hmm. to, to find a solution for the self-winding chronograph. Right. But 
it finally developed in such a project that you ha had to create an entire movement. Yes. And uh, that was a little, for our little company, it was a challenge which we said we might as well take a, uh, another partner. Yes. And uh -huh. so I chose Willy Breitling, right. yes. which was yeah. not really a competitor for somebody doing something very similar as us. Yes. But he was very strong in Italy, uh -huh. very strong in France, but not present in America, uh -huh. very bad represented in England, uh -huh. Switzerland. So we basically not really competed together. He was markets. very much aviation yep. and we very much autosport. Yes, got that. So we did got together uh -huh. and uh, we had to take the manufacturer of the movement mm -hmm. for us, the one who did he had to also have a little partnership because he wanted, yeah. if we make the world's first self-winding chronograph, yes. he wanted his little share because he was making the movie. Yeah, okay. So that was not uh -huh. easy. But we decided to do it professionally. Yes. So we launched it at the same time in New York in the evening uh -huh. and in the morning in Geneva, 11 o'clock in the morning and 5 o'clock in the Pan Am building. Wow. A uh, big press announcement uh -huh. for this movement. Uh -huh. And there was a big fight who was the first. Okay. Because Zenit said, announced, we're the first. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> it's a nice little story about that. Yeah. Well, I might as well say yeah, please. tell it yeah. now. Interesting. We were definitely the first. And because we had planned this big announcement already before Christmas, Zenit made a little ad in the paper, just about this uh, big, right. and one column, uh -huh. that they have the world's first chronograph. But three weeks later, there was the Basel Fair, yes. the big fair, mm -hmm. yep. and we had uh, the whole collection ready to go, and we already start shipping yeah. in April. The f fair was in March, yes. and we ha were starting shipping. Wow! And Zenit only had one prototype they could show. You see, so, so yeah. So, so they were yeah. two or three months behind Mind us. You. Uh -huh. And the funny story is the president of Seiko um, oh, oh, so, ah. from Japan. Yes, Seiko. Okay, yes. Mr. Hatori. Yes, Mr. Hatori. Mr. Hatori yes. himself. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Came to our stand uh -huh. in Basel. Yes and asked to see me, and he congratulated me for the new chronograph, right? Wow. And then I s he said, yes, uh, I think it's a very nice model, congratulations. We have been testing our automatic chronograph since a year in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Can you imagine? Yes. But he was a g very good sport, yeah. and then he was one of our competitors ever since. Sure, right? yeah. So that's uh, some of these experiences. My father s insisted that I go to the America. Yes. Uh, to not only for uh, two weeks or three weeks or three months. And uh, I learned in America, I, I created Hoyer Time Corporation in New York City. Okay. And we had there uh, a watchmaker and a sales manager and uh, uh, an assistant, right, yes. and uh -huh. four people with me. And I learned in America modern marketing. Yes. Really. Uh -huh. And the guy, we had a very little agency. Okay. 
and the guy who ran the agency was so brilliant that he became the guru of of advertising later on, and would made his life by going around to America and giving conferences on okay. modern on marketing. marketing. Okay, uh, he came to New York when he was eighty to say hello to me. We had a, an event, incredible, and he became a guru, uh, like I yeah. said, uh, yeah. in America. Uh-huh. But we we applied he applied the first techniques and tricks uh, For, with us, uh-huh. right? and. Uh, Part of it was, of course, product placement. Yes. And the product placements happened in Hollywood, and they needed stopwatches because you had these short intervals when you put the film together. Yes, Uh yeah. And uh, we had a very, uh, one of our best clients in America had his watch shop in Hollywood. Right. Which all these stars, they like to have the new models. Absolutely. So I said, I need a product manager. And he said, I'll check, I'll check. And two weeks later, we had a product manager. And this guy in Hollywood was so that we appeared in about four or five or six uh, pictures. Yes, movies. Where the main actor had a chronograph Uh for us. And where uh, everybody noticed it. Yes. Right? Like Steve McQueen and that whole thing. That, that yeah. Steve McQueen is due to that same product placement man yeah. we had. And this is one of the major tricks. The others was always to make in the press release a certain technique uh-huh. that you don't offend other people. And yes. you know, there's a whole technique to write. Yeah. And we at the end were had become very, how should I say, we had. When I turned home, we started asking our agents in every country you have a representative when mm-hmm. you have a watch bank. Yeah. Today we have offices, but normally at the time you had a in the free uh, a jeweler right? yes. or uh-huh. wholesale. Yes, yes, yes. And so we got this famous, we, we got quite a few big uh-huh. names. Uh-huh. But and of course, the one was with Steve McQueen yes. in Le Mans. Uh-huh. And there was a masterpiece exactly. of, of yeah. marketing trick. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. And it actually fili- finished with a very angry Steve McQueen. Okay. So we are not allowed to m- use it for 10 years ah. until he died. Okay. Right? And then his son agreed. And so then afterwards, uh, Steve McQueen appears in. Like many of our advertisers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's iconic. Because that watch particularly was, it was the first square automatic chronograph That's that was water-resistant. Yes. And, and, and it wasn't well-received initially, was it? it? Yes. It was a little bit slow to sell. That's correct. And you see, it was new for yeah. a sports yeah. watch like. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the funny story is it w- that film happened about a year after the self-winding chronograph. Mm-hmm. And they were selling very well with us, yes. the Carrera and the Autavia. Yes. And uh, the product manager called me from Hollywood on a Thursday afternoon. Yes. Mm? Which was a morning in Switzerland. Uh-huh. And he said, I need products. I need bo- timing boards. I need big chronographs you carry on the neck. And uh, I need uh, at least a dozen watches, okay. wrist watches. Uh-huh. But we had no 
Carreras, ah. and we had no Mon um, Octavia. Octavia's, yeah. because they were selling yes. well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we only had, I could send him one Octavia and one Car uh, Carrera, uh -huh. but seven Monacos. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> since in the film business you need a backup, yes, of and course. you need a. Uh, you need a what untouched model because of the close photography. Yes. Hmm? <laughs> he was very happy to have seven. Yeah. But the, st the, f the story about it is that that I had to said he calls me on a Thursday morning. He said I have to have it Monday morning. So how do you get your watches? Yeah. Hmm? <laughs> yeah. You have to have export papers. They uh -huh. have to be approved by mm. a French export author. Uh -huh. So. Uh, I decided to smuggle them in. Wow. So I had a watchmaker, which was, <laughs> was a smart boy. Yes. And he had to. He left on a Sunday because he, they needed the watch. He left on a Sunday morning. Uh -huh. He went through customs. Oh, they grabbed him. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So <laughs> <laughs> as a result, he had to put give all the cash he had as a... Oh, yes. right. As like and he just managed... To get to Le Mans with the watches. Wow. Huh? So then he gave it to the yeah. product placement guy. Uh -huh. And this was a little surprise because there were seven Monacos. Yes. A lot of timing boards and yeah. big chronographs. But only one Carrera and one Otavia. <laughs> so how it happened, I did not know exactly. But obviously he wore the Monaco. Yes. And uh, they had a second Monaco. And when the film went on, uh -huh. he, oh yes, so when the film was over, they had a lot of watches left. Yes, because I had sent them an ex everything except this yeah. <laughs> one more. Yeah. <laughs> so he calls me and says, "What do I do now?" And I with all these watches, and I said, "Listen." If I and I try to smuggle in again, yes. I might be caught. <laughs> so it costs me less that yeah. you just give them give away. Give them away. Yeah. We have obtained or we want. Steve McQueen has a watch yes. on his wrist from us uh -huh. in the film. And now I must tell you a story which might amuse you. These watches, when the film was over, the product manager managed to take about 25 years to sell his seven Monacos. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and he was very clever because he put them on auction yes. about every five years. Mm -hmm. And the first one was the real watch worn by Steve McQueen. It uh, reached over $100,000. Okay. And the second one in five years yeah. was used in the film, yeah. but security, security, model yes. a safe yeah. safe model then <laughs> five years later yeah, he one. sold the third one and that was the model for the close-up film yes. taking yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and that went on for 20 years right yeah. every five years he yeah. sold <laughs> and uh, he must have made a million and uh, he retired afterwards. <laughs> a clever man. Because I, I, I read somewhere one of them, uh, I think in 2012, sold for $800,000. One yes. from the film in, in, yes. in an auction, $800,000. Yep. And I mean, it, it's, I, I mean it's, it's, it's incredible, but 
the image of of, of, of him wearing the watch um, is so iconic, um, and and I guess it's it's interesting that it was it was a sort of relatively slow seller, and now it's part of the collection. Yes. It's a huge part of it, and yes. and you've got all this rich history. I mean, yeah. uh, with the Carrera and and the Ortavia, and obviously the Monaco. I suppose at the time you were just making watches as, as essentially tools, yeah. um, tool watches for scientists or divers or drivers, yeah, etc. Uh, and and now they are, they're, they're icons with this rich legacy of history and yeah. interesting stories behind them. And you would have never have thought never. that when you when yeah. you were making a watch and thinking, yeah. oh, you know, we can make this a. a, a it made a history. It made it was probably the determining watch for being taken over by LVMH yeah. of our company uh-huh. uh, that there was this rich his yes. history behind yeah yeah I'm sure uh, well, I'm it wasn't sure. in my time but uh, uh-huh. still yeah. they called me back as honorary chairman so uh, I don't quite right uh, too they did a few other things between uh, one of your favorite watches I believe is is the is the Carrera yes um, and and you, you you I think you met some uh, some Mexican yes. Mexican guys yes. in, in in Florida um, yes and, and, and they were talking about the Pan-American uh, yes. Carrera race yes. in the 50s yes um, and then you got the idea for the for the Carrera watch from from uh, I was very touched there was a race a 12-hour race in uh, Sebring right, right? The, the classical uh-huh. and I was invited to participate and was I flew from New York. I was running the New York uh, subsidiary at that time. Mm-hmm. I flew to uh, Florida and rented a car and drove to Sebring and were called by the police because they said, you're going much too fast. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I didn't know. I didn't see any speed limit yes. here. <laughs> Anyhow, they were sort of... Uh, Okay, yeah. I didn't have any problem. But I worked, uh, how should I say, in the race, I went to the Ferrari pit. Yes. Big for, um, you know, the love. I wasn't sponsored yet, but I went for the love of the brand and so on. And in the ferry, Ferrari pit, uh, pit was Mr. and Mrs. Rodriguez, yeah, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. w- with their two sons. Mm-hmm. And the two sons were, since it was a 12-hour race, they were yeah. replacing each yeah. other. Uh-huh. And the mother said to me, you know, I am all afraid when my boys race, but this is a, uh, a, a less challenging race yes. than the Carrera di Panamericana. Uh-huh. And I'm so happy they're too young to participate. Ah, okay. But because half the people... Uh, there were many d- deadly accidents yeah. of the Carrera. Uh-huh. But that sounded in my ear so strange that I said, that's a marvelous name yeah, yeah. for the watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I created the watch, and uh, the name caught on, and it's still today it is, yeah. uh, one of the leading models. We, we yeah. create them. They're about 25 different Carreras by now. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 I think... Uh, uh, it was. Um, it's just good sh- sheer luck. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but a very clear dial. I suppose that. The, well, the, that's the, what my. That's the crucial thing about a chronograph. Well, uh, some people don't realize, but I, in my in university student uh, studies, I had a full year visibility lesson. L- yeah, studies in visibility. Studies yeah, yeah, in yeah. visibility yeah. of dials. Yeah. 
because at my time there was no semiconductor. Yeah. It was all power stations, right? Right. And if you misread a dial on yeah. a power station, oh yeah, huh? yeah, they're, it could be serious. It's serious. <laughs> yes. So they yeah. they had made big rules on legibility yes. of dials. Uh-huh. And uh, since I w- my studies were electrical engineering, semiconductors didn't exist anymore. Yes. Not yet exist, right? Uh-huh. So uh, I applied these technologies on legibility. So we had the most legible stopwatches, that's very important there. And then I also applied it to dials systematically. Uh And that's why we have, contrary to some of our competitors, some fundamental errors which one may not do in legibility of a dials, we'd never apply them. For Uh instance, you're not supposed to close the outer circle and the inner circle and just make little bars between the two, Ill, illegible. Huh? Mm. So okay. there's only one circle yeah. where you catch yes. things, and uh. then the bars must be different for the fifth of a second, for the second, for the minutes, yeah. right, and for the five minutes. Wow. And so we always have legible dials, because yeah. otherwise I complain if yes. they show <laughs> it to me. <laughs> no, well, that, that's, that's right. I mean, yeah, that's that. No, it's a, quite important. Yeah. So the company, um, did reasonably well. There was a, a marvelous takeover by LVMH. Yes, and uh, I was uh, asked to leave uh, when I was fifty. So that's another story, which is not really mm-hmm. interesting now. But I was called back. Two thousand and one was it? Two thousand one. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, how old was I then? Seventy, right? Yeah. yeah. So now I'm an old man. <laughs> but but it, it's interesting. You you are um, from an electronics background, but dealing with mechanical products, mechanical watches. But obviously applying what you were saying about the clarity of the Carrera dials, and and now we're almost um, we have an electronic uh, revolution in timekeeping going on now with with smartphones, with smart watches. I mean, it's it's quite a it's 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 almost um, it's almost sort of back where you started in terms of in terms of electronics. Yes. Um, and 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 I guess one of the um, I mean the industry's had many challenges over the year with the, with the quartz crisis etc. And, and the impact that had. Um, and I guess mechanical watchmaking is now in a different place to what it was in the seventies, but there is still this development with. Elect with, with smart watches, with 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 uh, getting your time from from a from a phone. I, I I still I am still optimistic about mechanical watches. I think that will I think they will continue. But I think I think there will be changes in the industry. Oh, you're absolutely right. And um, you see, I always say the wristwatch has an element of of a reassured comfort in hearing your watch tick. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. yeah. And uh, that's one of the factors. And then, of course, there's a immediate fact you don't have to pull out your phone to see. True. Right? Yes. Uh-huh. And then there's a status factor. Yes. Because, uh, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. and all these things. Uh-huh. But the market has sh- shrunk for the mechanical watches, right? Yes. And uh, the Chi- uh, the Japanese and the Chinese um, 
are very good at making watches. Mm-hmm. You can find yeah. all my watches in Chinese yes. second hand. <laughs> 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 if you're yes. in Hong Kong at, in the street, they yeah, offer yeah. you Carrera. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a that's yeah that's that's incredible. I, and I am, um, I am, um, I, I, I think, um, I think the mechanical watch aspect of it, and I think why it will have longevity is because they are repairable. Um, I think smart watches and, and electronic technology, phones, they have a three, four, five year yeah, shelf yeah. life, and then Definitely. you throw them away. Yeah. And they are expensive, but yeah. you can repair a watch. Yeah. And and uh, you mentioned about the comfort and the reassurance. You know, I I like winding my watch as it's kind of an intimate, organic yes. thing. Yes. Um, and and, and, and it I, keeps I, it alive. It, it keeps it alive. Exactly yes. that. And you're a part of keeping it yes. alive. Whereas <laughs> something electronic is. Yeah, slightly disposable. Um, it loses its intimacy. Yes, mm. yes, yeah, the intimacy. Yeah, yeah, intimacy. Exactly, yes. intimacy. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, thank you, Jack. Thank you for that interesting talk. Interesting to hear about um, about all, all the history of, uh, of of Tag Heuer and the Monaco and and and, and the product placement and, and your, your developments and uh, well, I, I and 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 I, I I just want to thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you. Well, I can only uh, thank uh, uh, Heuer, who called me back at age 70 yes. from uh-huh. my retirement. Uh-huh. And I've had now 20 years uh-huh. of fascinating work as mm-hmm. honorary chairman, Yes, uh, like today with you, thank you. and uh, many other people of the press. But I also invite... Uh, invited to give my advice on new products and then i often correct their dials yes because they say the proportions are not right well that's great yeah (laughs) and uh, some other things but i am having a very good time uh interesting time with uh, since uh, it's my 20th year with tag amazing yeah no in three in two years yes Uh incredible and uh, honorary chairman and they make use when they have feeling mm-hmm. they can it or do help the brand and yeah. there's still the old bugger around <laughs> <laughs> fascinating thank you so very much for your time thank you Jack very good thank, thank you, you. thanks so much for listening to this episode of Calibre Podcast where Mark Torsten spent some time with the fascinating Jack Hoyer as always do subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts and now we're available on Spotify as well as all the usual places for you to listen to your podcast.